And welcome to episode 2 of Chasing Geek. My name is Nainavoa, as always, and I do apologize. I am a bit under the weather. Um, I'm still, I'm on the back end of it, so that's great. And, uh, but I don't know how long I can go without coughing, like, on a semi-regular basis. So, we're gonna see how long it comes to, and then once I start, like, just not being able to communicate, we'll stop <laughs> for this week. Um, I wouldn't have one last week. Unfortunately, I had some audio problems, uh... Goober me left the fan on in the background, and so because of that, there was this constant, uh, like this whistle in the background. And it's just it, it bothered me, and I knew that if it bothered me, it's gonna bother other people, and so I just scrapped it. And it sucks. I mean, there was a couple of funny things in there. It was good, but you know, oh well, I got rid of it, and we just moved on. Real quick, uh, just to kind of plug it right at the beginning, um, we are raising money for Extra Life um, over at Game Tyrant, so Game Tyrant 4 Tykes. Uh, our team is live, so if you want to go ahead and join up, uh, we'd love to have you. Um, give what you can. Um, if it's a dollar, great. If it's 10, 20, 30, 100, fantastic. That's awesome. It's going to a great cause and helping kids and helping these children's hospitals help these kids. Um, with cancer and some of these debilitating diseases. Um, so it's a fantastic opportunity um, to get involved on November 7th. We're all going to hop online, play a bunch of games, um, but we're trying to raise money for a great cause. So if you can help, even if you can just spread the word, we'd really appreciate it. Um, so first thing we're going to do here is talk about some comments made by Peter Moore, um, EA's COO uh, of former Microsoft uh, fame. Kind of talked about he talked he he was in an interview and he talked about remakes and the fact that EA doesn't actually have any on their slate uh, as far as remasters or remakes coming out for the you know for next gen consoles thing is that's all well and good and to me the biggest thing when he when he says that um i wouldn't be so quick so early in a console cycle to poo poo what like other <laughs> other develop like what other publishers and developers are doing as far as remakes and remasters because all it takes is about three games to just completely dud and then any company is gonna look and go okay what can we do to uh put some shine on our ip and also get some money coming in and take some of the sting out of that and typically what happens is they look at their stable of last gen games and they'll go, hey, this franchise over here, we're, you know, just kind of was put on the back burner. This would be a good one. Uh, it's a fan favorite. It'll sell. Let's polish it up. Let's do some stuff and sell it. I just, it's so early on in the console cycle. You can say what you want, and I get it, you know. It, but I just would be careful. That's all because the minute he says that, right, everyone logs that in their little logbooks, and then three years from now, two years from now. Or if all goes to complete crap, a year from now, they have a couple of bad releases, and all of a sudden they, oh, you know, we we changed our mind, but everyone's going to call them on it, and they're going to throw it in their face, and it's just not something you want to open yourself up to, so I get it. Um, the thing is, that's not what the most interesting part of this whole thing for me was. At the end of the article, he kind of has an offhand comment about backwards compatibility which i have always trumpeted was overrated it was something that and i always and i feel this way but here's a quote 
Um, he said, in the old days, backward compatibility was to convince your mom to buy the new console. Now that you were ever going, not that not that you were ever going to use it. Moore said, once you got it, these things went in the drawer or on eBay. It's a sentiment I've always shared. I've always thought that the idea of backwards compatibility was always more intriguing than the actual use of it. Um, and, and this was even on the old consoles, you know, uh, when PS2 and that was like a huge thing. Um, I understood it. I got it. And there are games every cycle, okay, that happen, that, that come by just because there's so much to play nowadays, which is a fantastic problem to have. So I'm not complaining. What I am saying, though, is there's so many games out there, you're bound to miss a few gems and that you never really get to. And unless you're the kind that keeps all your old consoles and keeps all your old games, I'm not. So that just kind of knocks me out of the equation right there. Unless you're that person and you have all those, you can go back to those at any time, go pick up the game and you're good, right? I'm not that guy. And a lot of people are like me. A lot of people, whether it's for economic reasons, whether it's just because they don't care that much or it's just not a priority, space, I mean, you know, you gotta have somewhere to store all this stuff. Some people don't like to do that. Some people like to have one console and be done with it. Um, personally, with me, I'm not attached to my old games. And I typically, and I say typically, there are exceptions, but typically I don't go back and replay games. It's rare. Dragon Age, I'm on my second one. I've already had visions of doing a third one. Visions, like, <laughs> like it's a magical thing. But I've already had like thoughts about playing a third playthrough, so that's rare for me. Um, Final Fantasy VII, I played through multiple times. Um, Sakuna, I've played through multiple times. But those are rare. I don't typically do that. So like, I mean, and this is the same with like the Arkham games. I don't play those over again. I play it once and I'm done and I move on. And I do that with most of the franchises, even the ones I love. So I trade them in. I'm in that GameStop ecosystem. You know, I get something for it. I wasn't gonna get anything for it before. So hey, cool. Goes towards something else. You know, I've never been in an economic position to really just buy everything and keep it. I always need to like be able to sacrifice something to get something else. So, and I, I'm, not, I'm not saying like, you know, I mean, that's that's just a fact. It's not anything. So, and I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, so to me, backwards compatibility is great in theory, but typically what happens is that people love it. People love the idea of it. You get a console with backwards compatibility and if we took an honest, an honest poll, keyword honest, nine out of ten people don't ever touch that thing for that reason. They don't ever touch that part of their console. I wanted, okay, to go and play Rogue Galaxy. Never got to play it, right? I missed that, Jim. Like, it was, it was kind of on the tail end of the system's life cycle, and I had, you know, moved on to something else, and, and I didn't get to play it. I was bummed. I'm not bummed enough. <laughs> like, it's not... Like, I never got to play... I love the Sakun series, but I missed out on Sakun 2, right? And it's just through, you know, like, I had a PS3 for a minute, and then I didn't anymore, and I could have just downloaded it from the store, but by that point, it was already, like... I was already trading it in towards a PS4, so it didn't matter. You know what I mean? It was just kind of like... All those things kind of happened at the same time. So... 
I missed out, right? I've never gotten to play it. Because at the time, I refused to pay like $100 on eBay to play it. To play it. It's just not, it's not going to happen. Um, so I missed out on it. In theory, I would say, oh, it's fantastic. If they, you know, have some sort of backwards compatibility thing, great. But I'm not going to go hunt the old game out. I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm, like, I'm not going to, I want to play something either remastered, redone, or new. I don't necessarily, I don't want to play the exact same experience that I played all those years ago. I want to play something with, you know, with some tweaks and with some, if some graphical upgrades can be done, great. Uh, some gameplay, modern, you know, tweaks to the control scheme or, or to the AI or whatever can be done. Fantastic. I want to play it not exactly as it was back then. Some say that's like a, there's a purity to like that old game. That's great. I don't, <laughs> I don't see it that way. I want, if I want to play it and put another whatever, how many hours into it, I want it to be a little different. Like that's why I'm, I'm actually okay and I'm totally getting off subject, but that's why I'm actually okay with Final Fantasy VII's remaster, or actually no, their remake, getting tweaks. Like, they're going to change significant parts of the game, and I feel like it needs that. Like, I don't want it to be the exact same game that I played back then, because if I want that enough, I can go get that. I can go buy a PS1 right now, hook up and go buy Final Fantasy 7 it's not that expensive I can go and buy it and and there we go I don't want that why do I want that in a in a time of like Metal Gear 5s and the Witchers and all this stuff like I don't want the same old game that was amazing and like as far as my game life like life changing for me but you know as far again as a as someone who was really um getting out of the box as far as the games they play and things like that that had a lot to do with it for me but i don't mean like life-changing as in <laughs> it's like i hit the lottery like not that kind of life changing. but i don't want to play the same game i already played that twice i already played it twice i got all i, I like I, to me it doesn't make sense unless it's different in some way i don't just want to play it like that's why i love like the resident evil remakes going and changing like the enemy spawns in in areas and going and, and doing that graphical upgrade making changes to certain creatures and things like that um like adding different control schemes where you can do the modern control scheme or you can do the old one if you so choose that's the kind of stuff i like i'll go play an old game with that kind of care put into it i love that but I don't want to play this just the exact carbon copy of the same old game. I already played it. <laughs> like, I already played it. So, I I love... Uh, one, I would say, when Microsoft... And I, and I feel like Xbox One owners, when they brought out that option at E3 this year... It was a huge crowd, like, it, 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 the crowd was, like, uproarious, and everyone was, oh, yeah, and everyone clapped, and it was awesome, and I got a huge ovation. I swear, 90% of those people in there are not going to use it. They're not going to use it. And the people at home watching, oh, yeah, yeah, they're not going to use it either. Because if your system is doing anything that it's supposed to do, you're not going to have time, and you're not going to want to. There should be enough exclusive 
games for that system and enough great third-party software from that system throughout the year that you really you're not ever going to have time to go and pop in an old game and play you're not going to have that kind of lull you're really not because the current generation is going to have so much so many different games to offer you're going to have a lull of new stuff but you can go back and play old stuff but old stuff is from the current generation not three four five years ago it's not from a different console cycle <laughs> like you're not gonna have time to play those and it's by the time that right now yes they have some up that you can already play that's great it's, it's not gonna be anything near what people are trumpeting that as and so i'm perfectly fine with not having it for the system for a PS4, it's fine. Don't have it. I'm really okay. I I can't play the games I have now. Like, and a lot of people are like that, right? We we live busy lives, we have full-time jobs, we got other responsibilities, and we can't play the games. I have games sitting on my on my console right now that I I am trying my hardest to get to. Some just for fun, some for work or whatever, but I can't play that. Why the like? How on earth would I then try and shoehorn in games from like six years ago? <laughs> it's not gonna happen. And there's a lot of people like that. So we, in this current culture, we struggle to find time to be able to play these anyway. You're not ever really going to pop that in, aside from when someone comes over and goes, "Oh man, you remember that?" And you go, "Oh yeah." And you do it for like one night just because you want to see if it works. It does. And then you move on with your life. You're never going to use it again. And to me, that's just not. It's It was blown up as being more important than to me it is. And that's how I've always seen that. So I agree there. What I would caution Peter Moore in saying is is getting too too much on the bandwagon of we're against we're not against i mean he didn't come out and like you know challenge somebody to a duel i mean that's not what he did but i'm saying like i would just maybe ease up on that because in a couple years you might have to go to that gravy train and if you do people are going to call you out on it immensely so maybe you want to rein that in um so i'll put that link in the show notes and everything second story here is one that's actually way more interesting so <laughs> to me anyways to me um and this was via Polygon. Uh, and by the way, the last story was uh, via IGN. So just to give credit where credit's due. Um, so this was actually really interesting. And I'll put the, you can watch the entire video of this presentation um, on the site, which I did. Uh, and it's really fascinating. Um, the Flock was a game that came out not crazy long ago. Um, and I guess the best thing is to start here. So the flock, for those who don't know, got a lot of press for a small amount of time there for being a game that once there was a basically a, a number given out, it was a pretty big number, but after that number was hit, which equals deaths, okay? So it was a multiplayer shooter. Um, as soon as that number of deaths was calculated amongst all the users, the game would actually cease to be playable. Okay, so it would like end. So no one else could play it. What would happen is, let's say you and me, we downloaded the flock 
bunch of other people down on the flock. We play, we play, we play, right? Multiplayer shooter, so things, you know, you're going to die. Um, and once that number gets hit, anyone who has it installed on their machine, right? So anyone who already bought it and played it or whatever, at that point, it unlocks the next part of the game, which is basically its conclusion. So pretty interesting idea, okay? Um, what this presentation is, uh, creative director and game designer, and I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, is Jaron Van Hazelt, um, was at the control conference. Now it takes a lot of balls, okay? Or gumption, or whatever, whatever term. Maybe that balls is outdated, but let's <laughs> let's say this: it takes a lot of inner character, okay, to be able to present to a, a room full of people your game and tell them not only what it's about and what you did right, but also what you did wrong, and how the game is completely <laughs> gone off the rails. How half the team is gone, and look at able to to be critical of your mistakes, and of your team's mistakes, and also present a plan of how you're attempting to fix them, and change it going forward. So it's really fascinating, and I would very much encourage you to watch. But here's one of the core things, um, a couple of the highlights of this. Okay, um, when he talks about what they learned. And everyone I know, especially because I, I went to a college, I went to Full Sail, so I went to a college with a lot of creatives. Um, I went to college with a lot of people that, you know, very gung-ho about, like, starting their own, you know, whatever it was, whether it was audio production company or, and, and I was one of those. Uh, <laughs> I come from that same mold. Um, game development, you know, we're going to make a movie, we're going to do this, whatever, right? So you come from that background. You know, a group gets together. They they all can kind of they all bring a certain kind of expertise to the table. It sounds great in theory, um, but a game is a very unique beast. And even if you have a plan, right? One of the biggest things that he talks about is that they didn't. And even he talks about it from not just a game design perspective, but a company design perspective. You know, they created their own uh, development company, and. It's hard to have a game design ironclad when you don't even have an identity for your company. You're doing it all at the same time, right? So, and they, he talks about multiple times how one of the biggest mistakes they made was that they didn't stay, you know, they had, they didn't have any kind of through line for the company and for the people that they were working with. Um, to help everyone kind of stay on message and, and kind of work together at a um, at any kind of reasonable clip. And it's because your company has an identity, and if no one knows what that identity is, and everyone just kind of goes, goes and does their own thing, and it's not, it's a bunch of little parts all working separately, and then no one's working together. Um, and he talks about that same thing, though, was with the game, right? So they had a great idea. Okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do a multiplayer shooter. Um, he also he talks about in that how the team really needed to adjust expectations, um, not just feature creep. Because he says by the end of the game, like right at the end, they they tried to do way too much and they added a bunch of things that they really shouldn't have. They should have focused on the core experience. Um, but like lofty expectations can be your downfall. They were looking at this as if it was going to be 
a they were their expectations were triple a title and he talks about it when our expectations in reality should have been an indie title <laughs> and that was what we had the parts for was an indie title a small indie title we tried to do way too much and especially it was their first game um you know they lost a bunch of people like he's the only one left out of the initial like uh five or six people that were part of the team um one of the other things he talks about is a consistent message across all platforms um and this was actually very revealing right so i come from now as part of the gaming press um as i guess that it's called um it's interesting and and i would i wanted to to bring it up because i would be interested to hear opinions on it um when we're covering a game and for any platform console whatever it doesn't matter pc wii u xbox one whatever when we're covering a game it's very easy to whatever comes your way <laughs> to cover like like so you get you know a ton of emails you get updates and and all these things about hey here's this game it's got this new thing hey here's this thing over here and here's this other one coming over here this one's like six months away but we're already starting the hype train for it so here's all this right and it's very easy to just try and cover all of it you know okay i'll take that one okay i'll do this okay i gotta i gotta post this about this game oh wow i didn't even know about that game and you, and you just spread yourself really really thin and to me sometimes that hurts you more than helps and i feel it's that way for the consumer or the listener or the the reader as well right because if someone because you it's hard to get a sense of voice when you're covering so many different things if you kind of focus on a few different titles as opposed to a bunch a reader a listener is able to get more of an idea of who you are what your tastes are your you know what you identify with as far as what appeals to you in a video game and what doesn't uh what kind of characteristics do you you know kind of typically trend towards those are things that you get an idea of when it's a consistent few different titles you know lately right and and it and i go back and forth there are some months <laughs> i feel like i i feel like i just hammer home a few things right it's and and like we'll take game time for example with, with me lately right it's been rpgs <laughs> and it's been wwe like that is it and i'll mix in some other stuff in there but like it's japanese and um western rpgs because they're a little bit of both and then it's like wwe and i feel like for the last month and a half that's what i've been writing about as far as gaming goes but I feel like that's more true to my character and the more character as far as this more true like I'm a wrestler. <laughs> that's more true. But that's more true to me than anything than than me uh, going and doing uh, articles and posts about, you know, the new Call of Duty and then I move over here and I do one on Star Wars Battlefront and I move over here and do one for whatever. You have to be adaptable and be able to do multiple and write about things that you typically don't dip your toe into the water on very often but at the same time that needs to be 
not the norm. You need to be kind of still focused on those couple of games that really speak to you because those are the ones, A, you're either passionate about or interested in. It promotes better writing, but on top of that, it actually promotes a gen, you're invested. So you're gonna do, you're, you're going to actually be more inclined to share things and find things out and do more to figure out what the game is really about and and somehow get that across to your readers or to your viewers or whatever than a title that you're not remotely interested in. I get there is a certain thing of you need to be able to cover anything. That is how it is, right? Something gets, uh, stuff happens, that's life, right? Stuff happens, it gets thrown your way, hey, cover this. It might not be in your wheelhouse at all, but you gotta be able to do it. I totally get that, and that just comes in any job, really. But on the whole, if you have a choice, I feel like it's better for the end user if you just kind of split it amongst a few titles and they really get to get a feel for who you are, for what your tastes are, and I feel it's better in that respect. What happened with The Flock was that it kind of was that. It was that, hey, everybody did a story on it right away for its unique take on a structure of a game, right? It's going to end. Everyone's like, once that number gets hit, the game stops. It's crazy. That's an out-of-the-box idea. Oh, great. And then the story completely died. <laughs> no one did anything else on it. And one of the things he talks about is really, that's that's kind of what brought this up, is that he talks about, one, the message got muddled. And, and he talks about, like, when he released it, he talked to certain sites and certain um, writers about the game. They put it out here as one thing. But then they got somehow, he put, like, he said to some, kind of, he said it in a different way. So then, or in his mind, he says that it was all the same, but people interpreted it differently. So then you had, like, two or three different things about this game out there at the same time, and they kind of conflicted. So people were not understanding what this game was, and they were getting different signals, right? And then by the time they could really get a grasp on it, you either lost those people completely, you kind of had them on the fence still, but you know, it's not a AAA title, so it's not gonna be constantly in their faces, they're gonna forget about it. Um, and so the mixed message with the press was a big reason. Also, if there had been, I too heard about this game. When, it, when, that, when those stories came out, I read about it just like everybody else. And then I heard nothing <laughs> until this article. I heard absolutely nothing about this game. And the thing is, yeah, I'm sure someone posted something about it. I'm not saying they didn't exist. I'm saying though, the the huge push, no one there wasn't a lot of writers kind of sticking with it. And I feel like good or bad, if a if a writer kind of decides to, and this is good, true for me too, right? I'm as guilty of this as anybody. But I feel like it would be better going forward that if a game even appeals to you remotely at the beginning, right? You get the initial press release. You go, you know what? This sounds interesting. Let me continue to follow this game. And I feel like it would benefit the game the end the end user ultimately it benefits the writer too because their content for this game 
is going to be better because they're actually having to dig for you know good information to relate to in these posts other than hey this is a thing here it is watch it <laughs> right like i feel like that would be better um certain games like this guy of five i've posted about that and i'm i'm playing it right now actually for review and my review is taking a little bit longer just because i've had a lot of stuff going on personal life so i don't have as much time to play as i want to um but i'm working on that right now the thing is though i've been following that game since it was announced and i've done a lot of small preview posts and articles about it throughout its entire cycle so I feel like by the end time that we get to when I'm working on my review, I'm so well informed about this title just from repeated having to talk about it. But I've also followed it so long that when something's not right or something's not promised, you know, something's not where it needs to be as it was promised from before, I'm going to pick up on that a lot easier than someone who has been covering everything. And you're going to lose details in the middle, just because that's natural, right? I mean, you're covering so many things, things are going to fall through the cracks. When you follow a couple of things, it's much easier to keep track of all the breadcrumbs. So I feel like it would benefit, and if someone was on this game like that, I feel like it would have helped all parties involved. Not blaming, you know, journalists or anything like that for not doing it. It's not, it's not their responsibility to make this game sell. What I'm saying is that it probably would have benefited all parties involved if more writers or more people who covered this had actually stuck with it and covered it a little bit further in, right? But it brought up that, so I would like to hear your thoughts, um, see what you think about that. So, feedback, one of the other things he talks about, <laughs> and this, he, he makes a couple of jokes and it's funny, but I understand. Um, this is mainly for consumers, but it can also apply to reviewers. It can apply to, to anybody who leaves feedback about really anything, but we're, we're talking about games specifically, so we'll make it about games. Enough with the, this game is complete BS comments and reviews, okay? In a, going through enough comment sections, going through enough reviews, Amazon reviews, whatever, None of that helps. <laughs> None of it. None of that. Those kinds of comments of, oh my god, why'd you even make this? This this game, and, and also, too, let, while we're talking about it here, um, no resorting to grade school proclamations or sarcastic witticisms. Your wit isn't going to make the game better, and if you're going to take the time to leave a review or a comment on something, make it worth your investment of time. If none of this stuff helps a quality assurance tech or a development team hammer out the issues with their game. Okay, your funny sarcastic remark means nothing to someone who's actually trying to find bugs and fix them. <laughs> Was If you're going to talk about these games, you're going to talk about this stuff, and you're going to take the time to write it, okay, and voice your opinion, things like, what's the premise faulty? Say it. Don't, don't, don't put it in a meme. Say it. <laughs> put it down. Hey, the premise, ah, I mean, I, I feel like you maybe could have done this or this, or, or I just felt it was a little lacking. Was there issues with textures or speed or cohesive story? Say that. Don't 
just put it out there. Oh my God, this game is complete garbage. That helps nobody. That helps no one. So please stop. If you're going to say that, don't write anything. Just go shout into the like, go outside and shout into the air because that's about as good as it's going to be when you write the review. It's waste of time for everybody. Waste of space. So please don't do that anymore. So he brings that up, and a lot of the reviews were that type of thing, and it didn't help anybody. So also too, they actually present a plan um, for what they're going to do in the future. And the thing is about this game, right? It really just resorted to the combat got repetitive over time. And also, because of all the mixed messages, because of all the confusion at the beginning, their player base shrunk very quickly. Also, it's overpriced. And he talks about that, right? The game was like 17-whatever. But when you oppose that to other games that had come out kind of sort of around the same time and what you were getting for your money, it should have been priced lower. Um, but he talks about like the player base is like gone to like five or ten people a day. You know, there's just not very many people playing. Um, and they got skin in the game, right? They're trying, they got a lot of money invested in this, like of their own personal stuff. So they've got a good plan around Halloween. They're gonna they're gonna lower the price. They're going to put it in a humble bundle. Uh, they're going to do a bunch of like new maps and and try and get the game kind of revitalized. Um, so I, I wish them the best, you know, again, it's, no one's out there to make a crap game, you know, but it's a very interesting look into the development of games, um, how they ultimately come to be and the struggles within. So it's very, it's very good. I, I would very much recommend to watch. All right. So let's real quick here. Cause that was a lengthy discussion about that. Let's get into some quick hits. Uh, battlefront beta came out. Everyone's lives are changed, I'm sure, because of it. Oh, wait, no? No, they weren't? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not so much. Um, I played some. It doesn't have my 60 yet. I still enjoyed my time with it, though. And I wouldn't... Like, I had fun. Like, I had a lot of fun with it. it it's, it hits that nice spot of, like, one more match, Call of Duty-ish, you know, that thing of, like, ah, oh, just play a little bit longer. Ah, oh, go to bed, but I'll just play a little longer. That thing is in here, and it has that. It's very, it's simplified. I don't want to call it simple, because it's not, I mean, you know, I don't want it to come across as that, but but it is very simplified. I mean, you, you can't go prone, you can crouch a little, it doesn't really do you any good. The cover half the time is destructible, so like, yeah, you might duck one or two shots, but that rock in front of you is going to crumble from their fire anyway in a few seconds, so there's not much strategy as far as that kind of thing, as far as like, you know, it's very basic, it's very, oh, you're up high, you're low, okay, oh, hey, you snuck in from behind me, it's that, it's surface, but again, it's still fun, um, the thing is, it's almost too simplistic for my taste, that's not going to be everybody... It's very casual. To me, though, it's very casual player friendly. So, I mean, if you have someone that's been away for the hobby or you have someone that doesn't, you know, isn't the best of those kinds of shooters, um, doesn't get to play that often, they will get in there and enjoy the snot out of it to me because it is not difficult to get into. Um, it feels very much like everybody has a chance, um, which is great. That's a great thing. For me, though, for my taste, it, it is beautiful. I mean, this game is gorgeous, okay? 
but for me the rainbow six siege beta just way more impressed me and kind of swung my dollars to if i'm gonna invest in a, in a shooter like that i'm gonna go ahead and invest in a tactical strategic type of shooter and rainbow six siege just like that really impressed me um just the amount of options that you have and if i'm going to be playing the same type of defense and attack modes and stuff like that and yeah in the beta there's a lot of stuff you couldn't do and i get the ve the vehicles thing has never been like one of my like the game that i play with vehicles more than any is halo i love vehicles in halo but i like sci-fi so you know, I like uh, riding around in the Ghost, and the Warthog's kind of fun. So it's just a Jeep. But, I mean, the Ghost is, like, my favorite thing. Also, those chopper bikes. Oh, my God, those are awesome. But um, much to the chagrin of my teammates, because I typically kind of run over them accidentally, because those wheels are, like, gigantic. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Point is, <laughs> strategic options of Siege just did it for me, and this was just a little too not easy. It's just... There's just not enough to it. There's not enough meat on that bone. Star Wars, I like Star Wars. It's not my... Like, that alone can't sell me on something. Just because it's Star Wars. Like, I can't... That's not enough for me. Now, you put this on... I mean, you put this kind of engine with an Avengers thing or something like that... And even if it might be the same thing if we're like I'm with the with the base gameplay, I'm kinda like, eh, it's not my favorite, but if I can throw cap shield, yeah, okay, I'll probably buy it. Like that's that's my vice, right? So if it's like Avengers or Captain America themed or something like that, I'm more likely to buy it. Even if the <laughs> whatever is not as good as it could be. Just because of that. So and a lot of people that's Star Wars is that that's their vice, and that's perfectly fine. Um, for me though, it's just not enough. I needed more. But in those other modes and things like that, there could be, I just, it doesn't have my 60 yet. It might. I'm not saying I'm not going to buy it. I don't know yet. I'm kind of on the fence. But I did enjoy my time with it. Um, other game I've been playing, which actually I've been having a lot more fun with, is Dungeon Defenders 2. I'm working on a preview right now. Um, but I've, I've already put some hours into that, and I am immensely enjoying this game. Um, if you play the original Dungeon Defenders, it was just a fun kind of tower defense really um and you could play up to four co-op online which we did um I had a couple of buddies we all used to play on 360 and we would it was awesome you got four different classes um they each have a different tower type that they can add to the field and then each one has different abilities uh the huntress is who i like because uh, i'm i'm always long range but also I like that she has so many traps and different things that you can place all over the field to help with the waves and stuff like that. So, at its core, it's tower defense, but it's really fun, and the loot is great. the 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 visuals in the in the first one were fun and bright, and um, everything was real. You know, you were basically like the kids of the like super grand um, heroes of the kingdom but they all got called away and then someone invades and like you the four kids of them are left and it's just real fun um in this one the graphics are beautiful uh they have like and they still have the really fun vibrant feel of the old ones um but they're it's pretty it's a pretty game now this one is technically an alpha um they call it alpha <laughs> It's not really alpha um 
it's I mean that's they they call it that simply because like it was in early access and then alpha and then it's gone free to play so like they kind of moved that they shifted it around but they still call this build technically alpha but it's it's pretty it's pretty polished I mean there are little weird things from time to time that happen but rare I mean it's not it's not buggy and glitchy by any means um, now I'm playing on the PS4 though I'm not playing on the PC so I don't know how that version handles um, but the PS4, I mean, it works so well with the controller. Um, also, they brought the pets back from the first game. You can have your little pet, and you can level them up as well. And and then now, too, the thing that's hitting me most is that there aren't a lot of costume customizations. I do like how they're handling that, but there aren't a lot right now because it's just starting. However, I do like that they've added kind of this orb system in. Um, you can you unlock those as slots for those as you level up and it kind of reminded me of um justice league heroes had kind of an orb system where you could like combine different ones and get different benefits this one's not it's kind of it's not like you don't combine like but you have different slots and and different orbs do different things and it's it's interesting um so there's some room for stat playing around and of course it's randomized loot um, but you have chances within, if you do really well in rounds, to get like an epic container instead of just a regular one. Um, so you'll get a random thing there. And then they're also introducing adventures. So like you can unlock bosses to fight after you've done so many of the campaigns or whatever. I've, my only thing is I've not been able to get a whole group of four into a match yet. Um, I've been able to get up to two and it just happens that way. Um, I played by myself for a while, and then I kind of got it. Well, actually, no. I was able to get up to three, so I, we had a, a mage, and we had a monk, and we had me. So we didn't have a squire, but then the mage left, like, within minutes. So, I mean, technically, <laughs> I had three people in the party, and I have very long. But it's really fun. I'm really enjoying it a lot. So um, I'll have a preview of that up soon. Um, but I'm that's I'm going to spend a lot of time playing that. It's, it's a... It's a just a fun game plus there's co-op and couch co-op as well i haven't been able to try that out yet so i'm gonna give that a run too um so before we go just a quick shout out on two comics that you should be reading um if you have time and the money to go get some books and stock up uh starfire is a wonderful book it's light-hearted it's fun and this character is just being treated really well and this is just a great uh, encapsulation of the character and what I feel like she should be. Um, it's done by the creative team of Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palma, uh, Palmiati. And the artist is a, a wonderful on this book. It's actually uh, Emanuela Lupacino. Um, fantastic art. Like, Amanda Connor does the, co or does the covers, so the covers look great. But the inside, to me, even looks better. I, I feel like she's just knocked it out of the park and it's the perfect amount of starfire is very confident can be aggressive sometimes but she's never like it never goes past there and she's not just played up as a sex fiend like she was before for some reason and she's not like it's not it's a part of her character it isn't the entire character that's what i appreciate about their run so far um so it's, it's just a great book i really recommend it uh lighthearted, funny and fun uh, same with Groot. Uh, creative team is Jeff Loveness and artist Brian Kessinger. Um, amazing 
run so far. I have loved it. With Groot, you just didn't know whether it was going to last for more than a couple of issues because if they just went and made this kind of, um, you know, no frills, he goes and wrecks people across the universe or he goes and he's... There were so many ways they could have messed this up, but they didn't. And they took the Groot from the movie and just ran with him. And so, you know, because the Groot in the book and... And the Groot in the movie are kind of a little bit different, you know, at least in the old Guardians run, they're a little different, you know, it wasn't as, you know, Groot wasn't as doe-eyed and, and innocent as he is in the movie, however, I like both for different reasons, but the movie Groot, I love too, and this one is the movie Groot times five, and he's just, it's like the sweetest, it's like the sweetest thing in the universe <laughs> like it's like adorable um anyone would love this book i feel like it's it's a, there are multiple times when him and rocket are talking and it's just the perfect amount of like snark and it's still funny and it's 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 just great it's like this weird buddy comedy book it's awesome uh couldn't recommend it more the art is amazing if it's so um it's so over the top and I just love it. His eyes are ginormous. It's like it's got these weird um like everything's kind of it's it's not it's not anime. It's not. It's it's not that. But everything's just like a little exaggerated like the art style. So it's just it's great. It's fantastic. Couldn't I couldn't recommend that more. Um if you're looking for a great funny book Groot is right up your alley. Um, so anyway, with that, I think we're going to head out. Um, I'm hoping to feel better by next week, and so that way I can actually talk without sounding like, you know, a grizzled old man. <laughs> so, catch you latest. Deuces. Deuces.